Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We know of Moses, we remember him as a great leader. We remember him as the uh, person through whom God rescued the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. We remember him as uh, an author, but we rarely remember him as a poet. But in Exodus 15, after God had rescued the Israelites from Egypt, there is in Exodus 15 a poem recorded from the mouth of Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned into the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until your people you bought, pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Moses was a poet. And in this poem, he celebrates, along with the people of Israel, the wonderful works of the Lord in rescuing the children of Israel from Pharaoh and Egyptian captivity. In particular, uh, the poem zeroes in on the time when the Israelites 
were fleeing Pharaoh's army, and they come to the banks of uh, the Red Sea, and they feel trapped. And as you remember, uh, God told Moses to lift up his staff and said to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God parted the waters so that the children of Israel could go across as if on dry ground. And when they exited the waters, the place where the opposite waters shored, they turned and they saw Pharaoh's army chasing them. And at that point, God commanded the waters to overwhelm the armies of Pharaoh, destroying those armies. And so God's power and his majesty and his watch care over his people are seen in the power of the sea. Now, this sea was the Red Sea, maybe the Reed Sea, depending on the translation. It wasn't the ocean. And yet, when we, when we look through the Bible at the ocean or the sea, we see uh, some symbolism in both of those, oceans and seas, that, that remind us of some spiritual things. Last week, we began talking about how the ocean reminds us of God. And I want to continue that thought this morning as we continue to think about the symbolism of God in the oceans that God created. Now, what I'm going to do today, last week I gave you two trivia questions about the ocean. I'm I'm not going to open up with uh, two trivia questions today. What I am going to do is I'm going to give you several different facts about the ocean, and then I'm going to turn around and show how those facts remind us something about God. I'm going to give you five facts about the ocean. Are you ready for this? All right. I'm going to give them to you one at a time. First off, I, I want to show you a map of the world. It's a pretty simple map. It has all the the continents of the world in white. It has the waters appropriately in blue. And you can see that uh, I have circled the five different oceans that are now uh, most identified by oceanographers and is they, they are also included in, in the list of oceans by the United States. You have the Atlantic Ocean that we're most familiar with, and you have the Pacific Ocean, which is the largest of the five oceans. It covers 30% of the Earth's surface. To the far north, you have the Arctic Ocean, and then uh, straight down below the nation of India and the continent of Asia, you have the Indian Ocean, and then way down below is the the newest identified ocean is the Southern Ocean or the Arctic Ocean. But what I want you to notice here is this. Whereas there are five different oceans there, if you look very carefully, we could argue that they represent one single body of water. One single body of water. You can start at the Atlantic Ocean and without ever getting off water, you could go to every other ocean on the planet and and never leave water. It's possible to do that. We also know that down deep in the ocean, there is uh, a conveyor belt river, if you will. It starts way up in the Arctic, and it travels southerly through the Atlantic, down at the bottom of the ocean floor. From there, it continues down to the Southern Ocean, back up to the Indian Ocean, around to the Pacific Ocean, and back up to the Arctic Ocean. And uh, scientists predict that it takes about a thousand years for these waters to travel through all of those oceans. 
But they don't go through land to do it. They stay in the ocean. The ocean is really one big body of water, but this one big body of water is made up of many oceans and seas and so forth, five different oceans. So we could say this one ocean, one body of water that's made up of five different oceans. Now, let me, let me show you how, and you already know this, you're, you're probably anticipating what I'm going to say. Here's how God is like the ocean. The God that we worship, according to Scripture, is one God, but He's also more than one. God is one, and yet He's more than one. Years ago, there was a, a, there's, there's persecution of Christians now, but, but centuries ago, there was persecution of Christians because uh, uh, Muslims in the Middle East would persecute anybody who didn't believe in monotheism, the belief that there's one God. And so they would persecute Christians. They didn't persecute uh, people of Jewish faith because although they, don't, they didn't agree with them on, on their faith, they did agree with them that there's one God. Christians, however, they accused us of worshiping three gods because we said God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't true. We worship one God, only one God, But this God we worship reveals himself supernaturally as three distinct persons. So we worship one God, but we will experience this one God as God the Father, as God the Son, Jesus Christ, and as God the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no way to logically explain that fact, that we worship one God and yet he's more than one. He's one God, and he'll never be more than one God, but he is one God who reveals himself to us in three persons. In that way, God is much like the ocean. The ocean is one body of water, but it's also more than one. God is one, and yet God is more than one. Now, the next thing I want to show you about the ocean is uh, just some facts about the ocean. First off, the ocean covers 71% of the earth's surface. In that 71% of the earth's surface, the ocean contains 97% of all of earth's water supply. Not only does it contain 90% of all earth's water supply, but the ocean is the primary source of our rain. So we had a little bit of rain yesterday at my house, not a whole lot, just enough to I could see the sprinkles dropping down in my pool back in the back of the house. That rain more than likely came from the ocean at some point. The ocean is our primary source of rain. Now get this, more than half of the oxygen we breathe, in fact, it's a lot more than half, it's 70% of the ocean we breathe comes from the ocean. I mean, of the oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean. Now, it doesn't seem that way because as we're breathing air here today, we don't smell the salt smell that you often uh, smell when you get close to the beach or in the ocean. But 70%, well over half of all the oxygen that we breathe is produced by and through the ocean. Okay, so we could say with, with uh, certainty that if we didn't have the ocean on earth, you and I could not live. It would be impossible for human beings to exist if we had no body of water called the ocean. The ocean is necessary for our life. And so by that, I want to say that the ocean is life 
life-giving. The ocean is life-giving. Now, it's not a huge uh, step at all to take that and say, like the ocean, God is life-giving. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God saw, uh, that God created uh, Adam and he breathed into Adam the breath of life. He breathed into him oxygen and, and Adam became a living soul. Later, God created Eve and brought them together. God created life and he still creates life. You and I are created, we are born with the image of God. Now, it is a, a somewhat of a broken image, but still, it's kind of like if you look into a, a, a broken mirror, you can still see your reflection and recognize yourself. God looks at us, and though we may be a broken reflection, he still longs to see himself and does see himself in us. And when we have received Christ as our Savior, God mends that broken reflection so that not only does he see us in his image, but he sees the image of his son in us. And so when he looks at us, he sees perfection. But God is life-giving. Not only does he give us physical life, but through Jesus Christ our Savior, he gives us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. Jesus came to give us life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes but for to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest, that you might have life abundantly. So uh, uh, the ocean is life-giving and similarly, actually even more so, God is life-giving. Without God, we couldn't have anything. Without God, we couldn't exist. Without God, we couldn't have salvation and eternal life. Now, the next fact I want you to see about the ocean, and you already know this too, is that the ocean is not to be trifled with. It is not to be trifled with. The ocean demands our respect. It's beautiful. It is calming. I love to walk down the beach, especially early in the morning or late in the evening, but I'll, I love to walk down the beach anytime. It doesn't matter to me. I love it. The ocean just calms me. The ocean speaks to me. I feel close to God when I'm close to his creation, the ocean. I love it. But I also know that the ocean demands our respect. Uh, we're in hurricane season. And there will be great storms that erupt in the ocean. They usually start off, as far as we're concerned, in the Atlantic Ocean. They start off not far off of the coast of uh, northwestern uh, Africa. Many times they start out as a small breeze. But they build up steam until by the time they get to uh, the West Indies and the the, the lower tip of Florida and the Keys, the, the, that small breeze turns into a storm, the likes of which uh, causes horror in each of us. The ocean demands our respect. You go out into the ocean, you, you do not need to go out there and not respect the ocean. It will overwhelm you. You know that. By the same token, God demands our respect. Now, God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. 
God is a God of grace, all of that. And we love to focus on those attributes of God, those, those that we really like, grace, mercy, love, goodness. And he's all of that. But at the same time, our God is a God of judgment. He's a God of demands. He demands a certain way of life for, uh, on the part of his children. And God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be taken for granted. God can be a ferocious God. Uh, a lot of people uh, who, who don't share our Christian faith, don't share the Judeo-Christian faith, they criticize the Bible because they go back and they say, look at some of the things God did. And, and the fact of the matter is, there are some ferocious things our God did in the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. And it's part of God's Word. I'm, I'm not saying that we should applaud that. I'm not saying that, that, that we ought also to develop uh, what some would call a vindictive attitude, not at all. But I think it reminds us that along with this loving, merciful, gracious, good, and kind God, long-suffering God, is a God who also is a judging God. He does not wink at our sin. He is very serious about us living in a way that brings glory to him. God demands our respect. In talking about that respect, here's a figure for you. About 50 deaths a year occur because of riptides riptides. I love the ocean, and when I go to the ocean, I love to get into the ocean. Now, my Amanda, she likes sitting on the beach, but she will not get into the ocean. She said there's too many critters in there that she doesn't like. But I like to get in the ocean, but I will tell you this, when you get in the ocean, you have to look for something called a, a rip current or a rip tide. A rip current is a, a sudden swish of, of ocean uh, movement that moves opposite from the beach, opposite from the shore. And if you get caught in it, it will very quickly sweep you straight out into the ocean. And it can pull you under. If there's also with the riptide an undertow. A lot of people die, 50 people, death, uh, 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 50 people a year on average die in the United States because of riptides or rip currents. And what happens is, if we're not trained or if we don't know anything about them, what we try to do uh, naturally is to, is to swim opposite the riptide. We try to swim towards shore while the riptide takes us out. We can't overcome that riptide. Swimming against the riptide is a, a futile exercise. And so people who are lifeguards who are trained in dealing with these kinds of currents, they tell us, stop trying to fight the riptide, but let it take you out a little ways and then start swimming either to the right or to the left. And, and you will pretty quickly swim out of the riptide and then you'll be able to come back to the shore. Now, what I'm getting to here with this is simply this. The ocean has the power to destroy us. But the same ocean that has the power to destroy us also has the power to rescue us if we let it. 
We can fight against that current. We can fight against the ocean and we will lose because the ocean demands our respect. If we don't, re- if we don't respect the ocean and, and, and if, we, if we decide we're going to try to fight with the ocean, we're not going to win. It can destroy us. But this same ocean has a way of escaping the riptide so that it, that same ocean that has the power to destroy us can also rescue us. Similarly, the same God who can destroy us will save us if we let him. Make no mistake, God has destroyed people before. Uh, we may not understand it. I'm going to be very honest with you. I try to be honest with you. I don't understand some of the things God did, especially in the Old Testament, but I know this, God destroys people sometimes. And there are times when God lets people die. There are times when, when uh, uh, God directly inflicts people. There are times when God allows people to be inflicted, whether he does it directly or allows it. It's pretty much the same result. Because he has the power to stop all death if he wanted to. Ultimately, he did in Christ, but he doesn't stop individual people from dying. He doesn't stop individual people from experiencing trauma. Sometimes he will directly cause it. We don't like to think that about God, but let's just be honest, okay? Sometimes God directly causes the death of certain people. But the same God who can destroy us, also has the power to save us. There is no temptation that, that is, has, has uh, taken you, the writer of Hebrews says, but only such as is common to man, and along with that temptation, God has provided a way of escape. You'll hear quite often people use that verse and they say, that right there tells you that God doesn't put anything on you that you can't bear. That is not what it says. In fact, God will and frequently does put things on you, whether a temptation or a struggle, that you cannot bear. It is not true that God doesn't put more on you than you can take. That's not true. That's not what the verse says. What the verse does say is that along with that temptation that's more than you can bear or along with that struggle that's more than you can face, God always provides a way of of, of escape. He provides the help that you and I need to come out of that temptation or to make it through that struggle. God always provides that means of help. And so the God who has the power to destroy us, also has the power to save us if we let him. I'm one of those who believes that God gives us freedom of will, at least to a certain extent. I believe that God gives us a choice. I don't believe that he forces salvation on anybody. I don't believe that there's a certain group that he, he has said from the outset, they're not going to be saved. They're going to hell, period. I don't believe that. I believe that God gives us free choice. And that's why I can stand up here before you and say that while God is a judging God and he does destroy, God offers a way to save us. And ultimately, he does that through Jesus Christ. Well, there's one other thing I want to show you. There's a place in the Pacific Ocean called Mariana Trench. You see a picture of it. It, uh, It's located a little more than halfway between Hawaii and uh, uh, Southeast Asia. 
It's right in the middle of the triangle between China, Australia, and Hawaii. Mariana Trench, it's the deepest known place in the ocean. The deepest spot of Mariana Trench is just shy of seven miles deep. And whereas there have been a lot of people go to the moon, only three people so far in history have dived down as far as Mariana Trench. Oceanographers who have studied that trench say that at that deepest point, you, you already know that when you're in a body of water, whether it's the ocean or your swimming pool or a lake or whatever, the further down you go, the deeper, the, heart, the more powerful the pressure is, the higher the pressure is. You know that already. You can feel it in your ears when you go down a certain, certain uh, depth. But at Mariana Trench, the ocean pressure at seven miles deep is so great that it is the equivalent of 57, 57 jumbo jets on top of you. That's how great the pressure is. Now, needless to say, we couldn't stand it unless you're in some sort of really expensive uh, pressurized a suit or submarine that can withstand that much pressure. But it, the, the pressure down there is equal to 50 jumbo jets sitting on top of you, directly on top of you. That's a lot of pressure. Now, I don't know by experience that that is true, and I'll tell you why. I've never been down there. I'll tell you where I have been. I have been on the ocean floor, but it was only about knee-deep in Panama City, Florida. I've been on that ocean floor, and I will tell you the water pressure is not that great, knee-deep, at the beach at Panama City, Florida. I've been a little bit further than that. I've been, I've, I've swum out, uh, uh, not in a, a rip current, but I've, I've swum out to the point where uh, the water is over my head, and I have, have, have dived down, and I've touched the sand when it's like 10 feet deep. I can tell you that there's not, there's not the pressure that's the equivalent of 50 jumbo jets there, although it is worse than it is. It's more powerful 10 feet deep than it is at 3 feet deep. But here's the point I want to make. The deeper you go down into the ocean, the more powerful that ocean becomes to you. That's just a physical fact. The deeper you go down into the ocean, the more powerful that ocean becomes to you. Now, that leads me to say one final thing about God, and that is this. The deeper you go in your relationship with God, the more powerful God becomes to you. The deeper you go in your relationship to God, the more powerful God becomes to you. If I ever, when, when, not if, but when I come to a place in my life, and I've come to this place many times, more times than I want to admit, when I come to a place in my personal life where God doesn't seem to be uh, present, he doesn't seem to be visibly present, he doesn't seem to be saying anything, he doesn't seem to be leading, I don't seem to feel his spirit, all of those things, which I know can't be true because God is everywhere present omnipresent. You remember that from last week? But when I come to a place where I question in my feeble mind 
the love or the kindness or the goodness or the power or the presence or the leadership of God in my life. And if I really think about it, there's only one conclusion to which I can come, and that is this. I'm in shallow water in my relationship with God. Because you see, the deeper I go, you know this to be true. Many of you have a far deeper relationship with God than I do. The deeper you go in your relationship with God, the more powerful God becomes. The question is, are we willing to trust our God enough that we'll go deep with him? You see, God wants a relationship with us. He gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we would come to know him in a relationship. But he doesn't stop there. God is not content with stopping with your ticket to heaven. So many of us are so content with that. I'm a part of so many funerals of people who, who, well, I I, I gave my life to Jesus back when I was six, six and a half, seven years old. I haven't really been that active with him that much since, uh, but boy, I, I got my ticket. Boy, I hope you did. I hope you did. But I'll tell you right now, God is not content with just giving you a ticket to heaven. God wants to go deep with you. And the deeper you go with him, the more powerful he will become to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your creation. In your creation, we see glimpses of you. The ocean that is virtually everywhere reminds us that you are definitely everywhere. The ocean that is majestic and powerful reminds us that you are a God of majesty and omnipotence, all power. The ocean that can calm our hearts as we walk beside it reminds us of the fact that you are a God who loves us, who calms us, who gives us peace. Lord, this ocean that must be respected reminds us of the fact that you must be respected and that you long for us to come and enjoy your presence. Unite with you in a relationship. You also want us to go deep with you, Lord. And I pray that we will make that commitment to go deep with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.